Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Rachel Tabo and Netta Talabian Funk, founders of Woodley and Lowe, the nearly two-year-old apparel brand made for tween girls. Before its launch, I wrote about the company's plans, describing it as the anti-Brandy Melville. I wanted to ask the founders whether they agree with that description, what was missing from the tween market, and what they're doing to resonate with the youngest Gen Z consumer. Welcome, guys. And it's not just tweens, I know this. Um, But yes, talk to me. Hi, how are you? Hi, Rachel. Hi, Jill. How are you? It's so nice to see you. Thanks for having us today. Happy to have you here. Hi, Netta. Hi, thank you very much for having us. We're excited to be chatting with you. Excited to dig in. This is an exciting market for sure. We'll start with Rachel because, shameless plug, I met you at a Digiday Plus event back in the day and you told me about this idea and I just thought, I mean, it, it was a white space and it made perfect sense to me. Tell me about what you guys saw in the market, why why this brand was necessary, what opportunity you saw. Yeah, um, that's right. And you did, you are not wrong in saying tween because that's where we first noticed the real pain point. However, we really are more than just tween. I think nowadays tween becomes kids brand. And so we really try harder for like the older teen. Um, and the, the tween knows that she has like aspirationally wants to buy up. But the problem we especially saw was for tweens in that these girls are growing at very different times from each other. Um, They're growing in different ways. Some of them get, you know, fill out and then grow tall. Some of them um, grow super tall and skinny and then fill out later. Um, Some of them grow when they're 10. Some of them grow when they're 15. And so we saw like this area where these girls were not able, they were on the one hand, getting tired of wearing kids brands that um, that their parents were relying on. They think it's too babyish, et cetera. They want to wear teen and adult brands, but nothing fits them right. Um, and they can't often wear the same brands as their friends because of the ways they're growing. So we did identify this pro- problem, like especially for the age group of like 10 to 15 years old. And we knew there had to be a way, something that could, we, where we could create our own size system that could be a little bit more flexible and allow them to kind of grow into a brand um, at their pace. And so we first created Woodley and Low to kind of bridge that gap between kids and women's brands. We created five different sizes that are A, B, C, D, E, and our size A equates to roughly a size 12 kids, and our size E equates to a 10 to 12 women's. So it really allows for, regardless of how they're growing, it allows them to get in there. We're gonna expand our size system as we grow. Um, But the A, B, C, D, E also gave us some flexibility in saying like, hey, this is not what size you are. You are not a small or an extra large. This is how you like to wear your clothes. And so we have a super simple fit tool on our site where they can enter their height and weight. And if they like to wear something more fitted or more baggy, and we give a size recommendation from there. I love that. Well, before we get it too deep, Netta, tell me about your background and how you guys even found each other. Sure. So I um, ironically started my career um, as a teen retail analyst covering specialty retailers, but with a focus on teen retail. 
back at a time when teen retail was an actual category dominated by mall-based um, retailers, Abercrombie, American Eagle, Aeropostale. Um, and then, you know, I ended up sort of transitioning into um, various roles working for in luxury brands, retailers. Um, I, I had a startup of my own um, in the fitness and wellness space and um, that I had co-founded with someone else. And, you know, we really dug deep into into that space um, and had been sort of kind of consulting and, and working with brands of all different sizes across the retail, fitness, wellness um, spectrum and uh, had been itching to start something again, had always sort of thought back to, you know, my days as a teen analyst and, and, you know, what happened to that space? What is teen retail today? You know, it's definitely not what it was. The mall is no longer what it was back then. Um, retailing is very different. It's evolved. There have been, you know, so many interesting and dynamic brands that have come to the scene focused on millennials and, and, you know, the Gen X segment, but really, you know, when it came to Gen Z, I felt like there was a void and no one was really kind of paying attention to how this customer is shopping and consuming content today. Um, and so, you know, I'd been thinking through a few startup ideas and was connected to Rachel by a mutual friend um, who's also an entrepreneur. And Rachel had been working, we were both kind of independently working on ideas at more in the wellness and fitness space. And, you know, as Rachel and I were talking through these ideas, I said, what do you think about athleisure for teens? And, you know, for her as a mom of three tween and teen daughters, you know, there were immediately, it was a light bulb went off of, you know, all the pain points she's experienced shopping for girls that age and, and, you know, witnessed how they shop and what their preference is. And so, we just felt that the opportunity to build this brand was was really clear. Yes. Well, I love this story. P.S. I have an 11-year-old niece and I, I'm already hearing the pain points like, wow, um, it's definitely eye-opening. Um, Rachel, tell me about, yeah, where you were in your career um, and and why, yeah, you wanted to do something on your own. What What's your background? My background, similar to Netta, I started my career out of college in finance, uh, but on the investment banking side. And I um, worked with companies in the consumer and retail space, um, some small cap apparel retailers, as well as restaurant companies and helped advise them. But after about seven years of being in investment banking, I, start, I realized that that was starting to become a career and that was not what my intention had originally been. So I kind of hit the brakes and went to culinary school and opened my own bakery. So I knew I wanted to be, I loved like entrepreneurialism and business. And I opened my own retail bakery in Manhattan, which was open for about 12 years. Um, and then for a variety of reasons, I decided it was time to move on from that. And as Netta said, had started researching some other um, business ideas uh, that I wanted to get into when we were introduced. And just as she said, when we started talking about this space for everyday reliable apparel for teen girls, it really like opened up. It was like became so obvious that this is what we needed to do. Yes. What was the market? What was the space when you guys entered? Um, I, I know, like, like you said, mall brands. Um, but even that space has evolved. Like when I was a kid, it doesn't exist anymore. Like it, I, I was pre limited to, it was like a brand called 579 <laughs> and a brand, some of these other younger brands. But anyway, it's, it's moving fast and evolving. I don't know 
I would assume brands are falling off because they're not speaking these girls' language. But yeah, what, what was the market? I mean, as you mentioned, Brandy Melville obviously is a big player for this this age group. I think the thing that we think that they did so successfully is it's very clear who they're for. It's not without saying it overtly, without saying we're a teen brand, we're a tween brand. It's very clear who their audience is and they don't go after kids. They don't go after adults. It's just, it's, it's, they attract one type. That's also their problem. They attract one type. And we knew there had to be more room for something that was a little bit more inclusive and, and a little bit more open. And, um, you know, we saw the girls shopping at, um, you know, Sheen started to become really popular, but that's problematic from a sustainability standpoint. Um, same thing like Princess Polly is popular, but again, sustainability and brand messaging and what it's teaching our kids about, you know, sexuality and how to dress and stuff at such a young age. Um, and, you know, and then on the flip side, there's like Lululemon and Aviator Nation that are that are very reliable and, and coveted by these girls, but also at a price point that was just a little bit too unattainable for them. And so we wanted to come in with something that was, uh, you know, more accessibly priced. We're not inexpensive. We're not fast fashion prices because we use sustainable materials. We produce domestically. We give back to our communities and organizations that are important to us. And so, you know, all of that comes with a little bit of a price tag, but we do try to be mindful of who our customer is and that her hard-earned babysitting money um, uh, really like needs to go a long way. That's so interesting. Um, in terms of getting the fit right, let's circle back up about some of the things you wanted to master. Um, did this require like fit models, whether they're your daughters, their friends, like how did you master that? So we did two things. First, we pulled thousands of data points from the CDC website on the height and weight distributions of teen girls. So, you know, we knew that women's brands and kids' brands alike are all, the sizing is based off of studies that were done during World War II. And so these size, the size system is already outdated. And, you know, on top of that, like kids, the, the teen sizes are, you know, completely all over the place. We noticed that first, like we pulled the size 14, 12, 14, and 16 that many well-known brands offer. We were looking at what height and weight that that equated to, and it was frequently the bottom 25th percentile on the pediatric growth chart. So we knew, like mathematically speaking, that this was not making sense. Like a 10-year-old girl having to wear a size 14 you know, dress just because that's their basing sizes on antiquated numbers didn't make sense to us. So what we did was we started with, with just like a bar graph with data points. We kind of drew an oval around like the mid 75%. We didn't have the funding to be like a fully inclusive um, size system where we could have launched with 40 different sizes, but we took like the bulk of what was there and we basically framed our five A, B, C, D, E sizes around those height weight, height weight distributions. But then what we did on top of that was with our pants, which are primarily sweatpants and leggings at this point, um, we did everything in two different lengths. Because as I mentioned before, these girls are growing in different ways. Growth is not linear. And even as adults for us, you know, just because you're bigger doesn't mean you're taller and vice versa. Um, so we did want to offer our pants in each t- 
two to each size in two different lengths, which can only probably come from two people that hadn't been in the apparel industry before because it's it's led to, you know, complications and confusions, but we get so much good response from it. And we get called out a lot from happy customers that are like, I'm so happy with your size system that it's been worth it. Amazing. Well, let's talk about the getting that right in terms of the the factories, your manufacturers, like what sort of hurdles, Netta, did you guys face? I think, you know, when we first started out, one of the things we both said to ourselves was, listen, not, we both worked with retail brands, you know, from a business side, but we haven't actually produced our own clothing. Um, you know, how do we, and the learning curve for this can be steep at times. There's so many different layers. Um, there's so many different players that you interact with from sourcing the fabric to finding the right, you know, you have a designer, you have a tech designer, you have, you know, the, the different factories, the mills. And so we really, you know, initially we said, okay, we're not experts in this area. Let's hire um, a firm who can really help us ramp up as quickly as we can and really understand each step of the process. So that's what we did. Um, you know, Rachel has definitely been more our lead in terms of our production and design process. And, um, you know, we didn't, we started working on this right before COVID happened. Um, you know, we had no idea what was ahead of us, but, you know, because of the circumstances, we felt it would be easier to produce um, in in America. And, you know, for various other reasons, from a sustainability perspective, you know, we felt really happy with the factories that we chose in L.A. Um, you know, we have a designer who's been with us since day one who has been um, she's worked with a number of different um, well-known athleisure brands and um, major fashion brands. And so she's excellent. So we've been, you know, very happy with how everything has played out. But it, you know, definitely had some you know, challenges along the way, especially having to do fittings and, and factory visits all over Zoom when the whole world shut down and we hadn't anticipated that. Um, but with that said, we also were, you know, when it was safe to travel, it was easy for us to get over um, to visit the factories. And, you know, we didn't worry, have to worry about some of the supply chain and logistical issues that um, people were experiencing with overseas factories. And we did one thing on the fit models. You asked, we did use at first we started using my daughters, but then the issue was they're growing. So we realized we actually had to use once we got out of quarantine and we didn't have to use them anymore. We realized, okay, we need to hire someone who's an adult, but shaped like our midsize. And so, so because it, using actual teens and how they grow was, was getting a little difficult. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I think I met you in early 2020, Rachel, and which pre pandemic, definitely we were at an event. Um, but the athleisure area that you guys settled on, I mean, that's lucky. <laughs> um, what, what, what would you have changed, I guess, going in had you known the pandemic was going to happen? I'm sure just, I mean, the launch date maybe, but, um, anyway, what, what, how did this impact your approach? Well, one thing we knew that even pre pandemic, this market was living in sweats anyway. So this wasn't like, like, yes, we lucked into it, but it was kind of a decision that we knew would also age out of the, the pandemic and yes, they're dressing up a little bit more, but they still, their everyday school uniform is sweats on sweats. And so, so we felt good about that, you know, being, having some longevity. 
Um, you know, we did pressure ourselves to launch for back to school season of 2020, which then slipped to kind of holiday season of 2020. I think had we had had we known how long the the pandemic the quarantine would last for and pandemic, I think we might have given ourselves some ease and and not rush to come out with our launch collection. But I think I think that being said, like we feel pretty good about what we've put out, Netta. Yeah, I I would agree with that. You know, we never, when we were sort of doing our diligence and in the initial research process of this and having focus groups and speaking with both girls and moms, you know, one thing that we kept hearing was, oh, we need more options for formal wear. We need options for bar mitzvahs and sweet 16s. And, you know, we sort of were like, you know, that's a whole nother market. It is, you know, there is a white space there, but it just wasn't where we felt the opportunity really was, you know, we, we saw that these girls lived, as Rachel mentioned, lived in their sweats. And that was really the brand we wanted to create more of a lifestyle brand than anything. Um, and so, you know, lucky for us, we really didn't have to pivot or, or, or change courses once, once the pandemic hit. Yes. Well, is this self-funded? Did you guys go, go to bat for fundraising? Um, is that a, a plan soon? Before we launched, we spoke with um, a number of people ranging from different VCs to angel investors, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it the, really the timing was difficult because then when push came to shove, when we needed the money was when the world started to like really freeze up. And so we just so we started just saying like, OK, how can we fund this ourselves? Like we kept we kept saying, you know, we just we just are so eager to get move, moving. We we love we're so like into this idea that we just want to kind of keep getting to the next level. So we kind of just started working on it ourselves. I do think we've invested a lot of money in product and the website, which we felt was important. We thought like you can't market something that doesn't have a great product to stand behind it and you know, our website is our store. So, you know, that's the experience people get when they come to our brand for the first time. So that was at the sacrifice of some marketing dollars. And so we've had to be very scrappy and very um, work really hard on on marketing ourselves and through our ambassador community. Um, you know, now we, we play with the idea of raising some angel money um, or VC money to invest in some, mar- now that we know, like, what marketing is working and what is wasn't that we we play with um, raising some money to invest in marketing, but um, so far we're, we are self funded. So, got it. Tell me about this ambassador program. Sure. So you know, I think every a lot of strong brands have experimented and tested out different ambassador programs. For us, we felt like one of the first things as we started thinking through building this brand and how we differentiate and how we really become something that's meaningful to our audience is, is taking this community first approach to building this brand. How do we sort of pull our community in, engage with them, them on a daily basis, no matter if they have, you know, if they're a major influencer or micro influencer, or just someone who has, you know, 50 followers, we sort of wanted to connect with the everyday girl and make this brand, you know, as inclusive as we could. And so, you know, before we actually built this brand and had a brand name or anything, we um, started a sort of private Instagram focus group. Um, and we hired two seniors in high school to run it because our goal from the beginning was always sort of, we want to co-create with these, these, um, our audience. We don't want to be a brand 
another brand created by two moms. It just didn't feel cool um, to our audience to know that. And so we right away started learning from these two seniors in high school. And, you know, initially we thought, oh, these girls don't like pink. They don't want things too girly, you know, and right away we started looking at their posts and the colors and the vibe and the energy. And we started learning, wow, this is what this Gen Z audience is into. And so they really helped um, shape the initial phase of our brand. They chose everything from our brand name and logo. We pulled them on um, to our initial colors and designs. Um, and so, you know, from that small group, once we launched, we then built, started an ambassador program. We have over 200 ambassadors currently across, maybe 250 or so across the country, um, you know, we initially were very much New York and LA, um, but now we have girls from all over the country ranging in age thir- from age 13 up to 28. Um, you know, and, and it's amazing to see how excited and eager our audience is to connect with us, be a part of our brand, share our brand mission with their friends and family. Um, you know, we now are sort of going a little deeper with the ambassador program where we have launched a sort of more um, advanced tier of ambassadors that we meet with on a regular basis. Um, We have meetings to discuss design, to discuss marketing. Um, So, you know, we think this is sort of our secret sauce, you know, having, having these ambassadors is what kind of gives us our edge. It's what keeps us connected with our community um, and so, you know, it, it's definitely an important part of our business that we plan to continue to evolve and grow as we grow. Yes. I and, tell and, you what, and, go ahead. I was just going to say, as, as Netta points out, it's, it's above and beyond what other ambassador programs do, where it's really just about free product and posting pictures. This is really about like education and information sharing and collaboration, which I think is what makes it so special. Yes. Well, I have been privy to um, (laughs) your road to launch, um, some great progress reports. Anyway, I'm so glad that we we met early on, Rachel, and it really opened my eyes to the process. And also, um, like you said, I interviewed one of your, I think it was a high schooler at one point for a story. I uh, potentially running your ambassador program and or your your social channels. Um, But honestly, like, it made me like look at her Instagram. I looked at her Instagram ahead of time and I was like, wow, I am so uncool. Like get ready for this call. So she doesn't think I'm a lame-o. Um, <laughs> but I see the value of like letting them lead. Um, tell me, I guess, first of all, where are you connecting with everyone? Um, you said you drew, you're doing some IRL with a specific group. This is also ha- happening on Instagram. Is that kind of the, the core of it all in terms of where you're communicating? Yes, um, we are leaning into TikTok and Snapchat a little bit more now. Um, you know, we have been, we have been not as forward on TikTok as we've wanted to be, namely because it can't be us doing it. Like we, we, we don't have like a funny mascot or, you know, a team of, you know, younger girls helping us to do that. But we do now, we figured out a way to kind of outsource among our ambassadors and our community. And we now have a recent high school grad who's running that for us and managing collecting TikTok videos and stuff. So we're leaning into that a little bit more. We, we really have been trying to figure out how to strike the right balance with that between being too like, you don't want to be seen as being too 
branded too commercial. It's got to be fun. It's got to be relaxed. It's got to be, um, you know, educational, a little bit silly, whatever. And so we're trying to get that balance right now. Um, Snapchat as well, I think is like totally uncharted territory that I feel really excited about because I see my, my daughters spending hours and hours a day on Snapchat. Um, and, but Instagram, they are still on Instagram and, you know, that's, you know, not to be forgotten about. That's where people are going to get your, the first impression of your brand. And that is where much of our communication takes place more. So these girls are not emailing and asking us questions. They are DMing all day long. And so Instagram for the DMs and for the, for the, the, like just brand awareness and stuff is, is like forever important, I think. Yes. And TikTok, I see some unboxing videos and, and such. Um, tell me about um, maybe the gift, how often you're gifting, if gifting versus paid is where it's at. And also the importance of that experience, making sure, um, I don't know, it's memorable or, or worth, worth videoing um, while unboxing. I mean, I think that's a great question. I think at first we were, we just were so eager to get our product in, in the hands of people that we were gifting all sorts of people, like inbound requests. We were, you know, we were scrolling different TikTok accounts and Instagram accounts and figuring out like, okay, this person is posting about this brand, so we should send them something. Um, and we really think we stand behind our quality. So we know that when someone opens the box and they feel the quality and the comfort that we provide, we know that it makes a huge difference. We did though it late in late 2022, sorry, late 2021, we realized that in some ways this was going against our sustainability standpoint, because it started to become, instead of just like unboxing, this is a review of a really great brand it was turning into the hall accounts. And so hauls are when the girls are just like, these are all the, you know, 25 things I bought this week from this brand and 25 things from this brand. And, and it's really just about excess, which is not what we're about. We are about buy less, buy better. We want, we want our quality to, to be, you know, talked about more than quantity and um, so we decided to kind of pull the reins on that like gifting for unboxing experience and really think about who can we reach out to who will help us tell our story more. And so we're trying to be like slow that down a little bit and be more thoughtful about about who who is speaking our language and, and who we can give stuff to 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 further that message. Are you leading in your your messaging on your site, your your social pages um, with sustainability, um, you know, size, whatever it is, your competitor, she, sheen, sheen, um, and just because this customer, like you said, they're not making a lot of their own, a lot of money, maybe if they're buying for themselves. Um, and I'm sure that $3 <laughs> t-shirt is just like easy grab. Is that, is that your, a big competitor for better or worse? Like the fat ultra fast fashion, the ultra cheap I would say, yes, it is definitely our competitor. I think, you know, where we find it interesting is this generation is definitely, you know, contradicting itself. They care more about the planet than any other generation. Um, you know, they're very passionate about sustainability, yet when they have, you know, $80 to spend or $100 to spend, they are more likely to want to go 
get a shopping bag full of items um, for that instead of two items that may last them much longer. And so, so much of, you know, we're starting to see, for sure, we've seen a shift with millennials starting to you know, put their dollars towards more sustainable purchases. Um, but with Gen Z, it hasn't quite happened as quickly um, for just really for mostly because these girls don't have as much income to just spend on clothing. And, you know, again, unless they're asking their parents to make the purchases. But so, you know, we are starting to see it trickle down. We are starting to see more of a backlash against fast fashion with this group. Um, and I think it will continue to happen. But so part of what makes our job as a brand a little bit tricky is is continuing to t- educate and tell that story. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we felt were table stakes for us as a brand that are not necessarily table stakes for other brands, but sustainability, philanthropy, giving back to causes that are important, um, you know, being body positive and, and inclusivity, all of those things. And so, you know, we feel that one of the one of the challenges that we need to continue to work on and move through is figuring out how do we continue to tell that story? How is it apparent to our customer when she comes to our website, when she comes to our Instagram page, you know, when her friend tells her about our brand, how does she know right away? Wow, they're using, you know, they're made in LA, they're using sustainable fabrics, they're giving 3% of every purchase to a charity. Um, and so, you know, those are the things that, as a small, nimble brand, we have to constantly work at figuring out how we're making sure we get that story through every touch point. Yes. Do you market to the mom in, in any way at any time? We do. We try to do it very carefully, though, um, because we need, we know that brand discovery has to come from the girl herself. And I know from personal experience where I've you know, bought something that is like super cool, well-made, sustainable, et cetera, home to my daughter. And if she hasn't heard of the brand before, she's like, "Uh uh-uh. And then two years later, she'll pull it out of her closet and be like, this is really cool. I can't believe you bought me this. But so we need, um, we, we need the discovery to come from her, but we do still need mom to know about us and, and, um, sign off on us as being a good brand that she's behind. And, and I think it's, it's really about like striking the right balance. We do, we do want, you know, we, we see a lot of moms come and, and see us and say, I love what you're doing, but I have to show my daughter first. Like we just know that the decision, the real purchase decision comes from the daughter, but then mom presses the checkout button. So, so it's really a balance and it's really about trying to like figure out that dance between like letting her discover us so that we're a cool brand, but letting, but making sure mom knows about us as well. Yes. Am I right that at one point you maybe updated the website? I know like a lot went into this website. What made into making it Gen Gen Z friendly or um, attractive to this young shopper? I would say when we initially started designing and, and doing focus groups, we right away knew that she actually was not into what the millennials, that streamlined, you know, clean aesthetic, um, you know, a lot of the Gen Z brands, there weren't, while there weren't many in the, in the apparel space, there were definitely some that were popping up in the beauty space. And we started seeing, wow, those sites have a lot going on when you look at them. There's things popping up. There's noises that are <laughs> coming out of the site. There's, you know, bright colors, emojis. And so, you know, we initially thought, okay, that's, that's the direction. And so we need to make this site feel interactive, feel fun, feel different, feel anti-millennial. 
you know, as we started, you know, after we launched and as we, you know, continue to do focus groups and really talk to our customer, we started to see that the older teen and college age girls like, oh, we, we want something a little more cleaner, a little more neutral, a little more, you know, so they're definitely already starting to veer towards more of the millennial aesthetic. But the, the younger teens are like, this is awesome. We love it. We love the colors. We love how it looks. And so again, it's for us, it's just trying to figure out how do we strike that balance where we still feel cool and relevant to the older teen, but obviously aspirational and fun for the younger teen as well. And just from a practical standpoint, we're just trying to think about how that age girl shops. And so it's primarily mobile. It's um, She wants it fast and easy, and she, she wants to be able to find things within like one or two clicks. Um, sharing a shopping cart is an important feature because, you know, she has to be able to, to say like, okay, I've filled out my shopping cart with the items I like and the sizes and colors I like, send it to mom and make it very easy for mom to just be able to like check it over and purchase. So things like that, just thinking about the the practical way that, that this purchase is happening, um, has been helpful to us too. Yes. Tell me about sales channels. You're selling direct on your own site. Um, Are stores in the cards for the future? Any uh, retail partners? So we... We've done a few small partnerships with local retailers in, in um, both in New York City, in the Boston area, um, in the Martha's Vineyard, in the Hampton, some of the summer towns that we've found that we've done well. Um, you know, it ha- it's not a big focus for us, but we do realize that it's important for us to get out there and have a chance for customers to touch and feel our products in real life. Um, we've done a number of trunk shows um, and, you know, pop-ups. And we've, again, those have all always been successful. When it, we're always sort of amazed whenever we have those that, you know, the customers, every single customer who comes by and touches our product, like the first word is like, oh my gosh, it's so soft. Soft, so like, you know, it's the, that's the most common word. And then once people purchase it, you know, the, the common word that we hear from everyone, all our customers is obsessed. Um, so, you know, we do think, longer term and omni-channel approach is obviously important for every retailer, but, you know, especially our brand because, you know, Gen Z likes to shop. They like to shop in person. You know, I think experiential retail, in-person retail is definitely um, going to continue to be important as, as, as retail evolves. And, you know, could we have our own stores one day? I think yes. And I think that they could, that could be a really successful way for us to sort of start to scale and get into other, you know, scale across the country basically with our own stores. One, one other thing that we're really ready for is more of like Gen Z focused concept stores and like pop, like group pop-ups. Like there are so many that are, that exist now for like, women own brands that are targeting women. And, and we, we just are ready to figure out like who are our Gen Z partners where we can like put together pop-ups together and the girls can come in and be like, I want this makeup. I want this sweatshirt. I want this, um, accessory and, and, and just have like a fun one-stop shopping experience, but really targeted to the teen and not the woman. Uh. Yes. I know people who would go to this. <laughs> Tell me about that. It sounds like you have a great um, network um, with your ambassadors and with, with who you kind of your kind of outside, I guess, advisor specialist. But um, tell me about your team, who you've since hired in the last two years. Um, are they as young as I would think? 
Yeah. So we have, you know, our core team is the two of us and, um, and then our designer and our tech designer. And then we have, um, a outsourced guy that does our web design for us and did, and another for doing digital marketing. Um, but we do have a team now of uh, one recent college grad who's been helping manage the ambassador program, um, who's been great. Um, we now also have a recent high school grad who's our social media coordinator and a few other high school uh high school recent high school grads and college age girls that are that are doing some like sales and marketing and content creation for us so it's it's we're small and lean still right now but it's it is definitely something like we we want to be hiring more people who are in this age group and who are really connected to kind of like you know just give us the the knowledge that we need. That's so cool. I would think it's not a traditional LinkedIn post. Is it word of mouth? How are you finding these people? I think it's, you know, definitely been word of mouth, reaching out to friends and family um, who have teen teen and college age daughters, I think has been, you know, we've had the most luck that way, to be honest. Um, You know, we've used some jobs um, sites before, but I think going through word of mouth and, and referrals has been best for us. And and some have just been like really proactive, industrious girls who have sought us out. We have one ambassador, Lauren, who sought us out, has been super active in like wanting to help us create content, wanting to be involved in our ambassador program, giving us ideas for, you know, how we should be framing our marketing. And we love that. And she just graduated um high school and is starting UNC in the fall. And we would, you know, we were so happy to like kind of continue that, that relationship with her and have her be like really tied on, tied in with our brand from the beginning. For sure. Well, what can we expect from you guys to come out of the brand this year? Um, I mean, it's such a rocky time. Like, are you safeguarding for planning for a recession? Like, are you just preparing for the worst, hoping for the best? How would you describe it? I think... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I think, I mean, I was going to say, I think on the one hand, fingers crossed, I'm hoping we're still like in such a early growth phase that recession, you know, hopefully we can still continue to grow. It's not like we were already like booming and all of a sudden getting cut off by recession. I think we might not be growing as fast as we would be in the beginning, but we we're still starting from a small enough base that I think we're expecting to still see growth. Um, and again, we are at a price point that's not like if you, if you were buying aviator donation once a month and, and now the recession hits, we ha- offer the same quality at half the price. So, you know, yes. That's so cool. I, I love that you mentioned Aviator Nation. Anyway, I didn't know that that was the, another hot brand for this age group. Um, do you think aspirations in terms of growth, is it about market? I would think for you guys, category expansion would make sense, even into areas like, like you said, makeup and maybe lifestyle and, and the things that you're looking to team with other brands it, um, with for a, for a pop-up or for a shopping experience. But yeah, what are long-term aspirations? 
I think long-term aspirations is, as you said, category growth to help us really become more of a lifestyle brand for this girl and figure out, you know, how we can be a part of her everyday and not just, you know, another line of sweats or everyday clothes, but really, you know, so the category expansion, um, collaborations with other brands, like we said earlier, potentially a brick and mortar presence. Um, so I think those are sort of for sure, all in the cards for us longer term, how also we can become more of a platform. We've always sort of from the early days thought like, how do we become a goop for this generation? How do we start, you know, having more content um, for her? But that content is different. Maybe she's not really wanting to read articles about topics that are interesting to her. How is it more, you know, video based? How is it more interactive? So I think those are some of the things that, you know, we have a lot of exciting ideas for long term, but, you know, in the near term, our goal, our primary goal is really how do we continue to spread brand awareness? How do we sort of, um, you know, grow so that we can divert more resources towards marketing and, and really scale and open up the funnel um, and just increase our base so that we then have a better springboard to start testing these different other long term growth plans. Sounds like a great plan. Well, you guys, this has been so great. Uh, congratulations on your two-year in. And yeah, great to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you so much, Jill. This was so much fun. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Look forward to doing it again sometime. <laughs> of course. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.